All right, if you've got a Bible, grab it, open it, turn it on, follow along on screen in your outline, or use a Central Church app. You can turn to Luke chapter 2. Um, that's where we're going to start today. This is week number two of our Christmas series um, called The Voyage to the Manger. And uh, let me, let me kind of set up this message like this. Um, this is a chaotic, busy time of the year. Would you agree, yes or no? Yes. How many of you, how many of you do agree? How many of you are like, nope, it's magical, it's awesome? Got it. It's easy. It's simple. <laughs> oh, have you ever felt like you just stuck doing the same thing year in and year out? Like, like, like we all have different preferences this time of year. Like some of us say like, yep, it's chaotic. And then there's others like, nope, it's awesome. It's because you're not working right now. Like there's no, there's probably our trees to trim. Anyway, <laughs> but others are like, you know, it's this, and we have, we have all these preferences that go with the holiday. Like watch, I'll show you. How many of you all your Christmas shopping is done? How many? All your Christmas shopping is done. There's a few people. How many of you, like half of it's done? How many of you, none of it's done? Like you haven't done a single thing. How many of you wait until December 24th, until the last minute to go and buy Christmas gifts? I could put both my feet up if I could. That would be weird. And then you're stuck buying like the as seen on TV stuff. Like that's the only thing that you can get your wife for Christmas. But some of this stuff's pretty cool, right? Like some of you seen some of that stuff. Anyway, we get, we get stuck in this routine. And I was reminded of, of how difficult it is to get stuck last week. Because see, all of our differences, the one thing that all of us would agree on is none of us enjoy being stuck. Um, a few weeks ago, I had to go for my eye appointment. And I went in and the doctor said, uh-oh, which that's never what you want to hear. You never want to hear your doctor say, uh-oh. And I'm like, what's going on? And he's like, got astigmatism. We're going to have to work on correcting that. And so long story short, he gave me these contacts that were horrible. Now, I have to use cheaters um, to read up close anyway. I've had to do that for, um, for quite some time. But he gave me these things, and I couldn't see anything up close. I'm like, dude, I can't see anything up close. He's like, we're your cheaters. I'm like, I am, but it still is difficult. And then I came here and I started working on the computer. I couldn't see my computer. He's like, get thicker glasses. And so I went out and I spent like $140 on thicker glasses so I could have readers in every room of my house and all around the church. Anybody feel me there on that? Because you don't want to be without those things. And I can't see my phone and I can't do it. And I'm, I'm calling and I'm complaining. He's like, look, man, that's what you're stuck with for a while until it gets fixed. I was like, I don't want to be stuck with this. I don't like it. What else can I do? What can we change? He said, the only option that you have, Ryan, is LASIK. And I'm like, oh, okay, I've been looking for an excuse for that forever. So I went to Mary, and I'm like, hey, doctor said, only excuse, like it's time. And so I called up a place, and they said, well, we can't get you in for three weeks, but here's the deal, you can't wear contacts for three weeks. And so I'm stuck wearing these stupid glasses for the next three weeks until I have my consultation. Because everyone's asking me, why are you wearing glasses? And blah, 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 blah. You look so much smarter. Shut up. Quit lying to me. And so stuck. Right? I'm stuck. And we all could share stories and situations where we're stuck doing something that we don't want to do. We're stuck in a place that we don't want to be stuck in. Nobody loves to be stuck. Stuck in traffic, stuck behind the slow person writing a check at Bombgars on 20% off day. I'm just saying, hypothetically, I heard a story about another, well, yeah, uh, anyway. L listen. 
Oh, I'm not going to tell you the story. It's, uh, it's, too, it's too messed up. We don't like being stuck. We don't like stuck in routine. Nobody loves that. You can ask anybody. Christian, non-Christian, doesn't matter. What do you want to do this afternoon? I want to get stuck in traffic. I want to get stuck in the slow line at the grocery store. I want to get stuck in the middle of a situation I never expected to find myself in. And the same thing that's true about us physically is true spiritually as well. I'd be willing to bet that there's not a single person in this room that wants to be stuck spiritually. You don't want to just be plateaued in your walk with Jesus. You want to come in here. You want to hear me say Christianity is a series of next steps, and you need to be asking God about your next step. And then you want to hear from God about taking your next step. You don't want to be stuck where you are. Because here, here's the thing. You could leave here today, And you could stay stuck, but I don't think anybody wants to be. And so why is it sometimes, in fact, a lot of times, but just me being honest with you, why is it that we can feel stuck in our spiritual journey? Like, why is it that we can feel stuck in our walk with Jesus, especially around Christmas time? Christmas time is that time where we seem to focus more on Jesus. And maybe it's because we hear it more. Maybe it's because we see it more. Maybe it's because everybody's singing all the Christmas songs and you're watching the Christmas movies and drinking eggnog. But but we focus more on it. And then within that, we focus more on where we are in our walk with Jesus. And Christmas time... Most of the time, for most people, is the most wonderful time of the year, until it's not. For some people, this is the worst time of the year, especially when we feel stuck in our relationship with Jesus. And so how do we get unstuck, Pastor Ryan? Well, I'm glad you asked. We're going to talk about that today by looking at the voyage of the shepherds. Last week, we talked about Mary and Joseph. This week, we're going to talk about the shepherds. The shepherds are my favorite people in the Christmas story. And they're my favorite because I can relate to them so much. The shepherds, they felt stuck. Stuck thinking, this is it. This is all we're ever going to be. They were outcast. They were told they were never going to be anything else. There's no room for advancement as a shepherd. Nobody wanted anything to do with them. They wanted to be, they they were supposed to be far away from them. They were dirty, nasty, gross. And, And they understood that's what people think about us. Nobody wants anything to do with us. This is our life. And the fact that these men are in the birth story of our Savior is absolutely amazing to me. Because you know the shepherds. If you got the manger scene, remember we talked about last week, the wise man, the little drummer boy, they're not there, take them out. The shepherds are. The shepherds are in the manger scene. And, and the fact that they're there, it just, it just completely blows my mind. I want to show you this. We're going to look at their story. Luke chapter 2, verse 8 starts out like this. That night, this is talking about the night that Jesus was born. That night there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. Now, a couple things to understand about the shepherds. Number one, more than likely they were Jewish. They grew up in a Jewish home, and Jewish boys were sent to religious-type schooling for the first five or six years of their life. And there they learned the Torah. They learned the law. They learned the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And so essentially, they knew what the Bible said. For them, that was their Bible at the time. So they're Jewish individuals. They're good Orthodox Jews brought up the right way, but there's a problem. Now they're shepherds, and shepherds are considered to be unclean by religious people. Now the Bible, the law, the Torah, Genesis, Exodus, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, didn't say anywhere that shepherds are unclean. Religion 
said the shepherds were unclean. Isn't it funny there was a time, once upon a time in a land far, far away, that there were people who actually made up extra commands that weren't in the scripture to make people feel bad about themselves? I know it's super hard to believe because we've come so far in 2,000 years. But the religious people called the shepherds unclean. Now, there's a couple of things that are ironic about this. Number one, these shepherds are right outside of Bethlehem, and Bethlehem is where they would have taken the sheep that were actually sacrificed in the temple. Don't miss that. These nasty, dirty, outcast, unclean misfits were good enough to care for the sheep, the lamb that was brought into the temple to be sacrificed for the atonement of sin, but they couldn't go into the temple themselves. They could take care of and raise the sheep, but they couldn't go. And because they couldn't go into the temple, they couldn't be prayed for. And because they couldn't be prayed for, they couldn't have their sins atoned for. They were stuck as sinful individuals with the weight of sin on them, knowing nothing can be done for me. They're considered ceremonially unclean by the religious people. There, there, were, there were all of these ceremonies that you had to do and these rituals you would go through if you wanted to go into the temple to come into the presence of God. They couldn't do it. They, there was nothing they could do in the eyes of religion to clean themselves up enough to get into the presence of God. Shepherds, which today we would look at somebody like that and we would say, well, they're just backslidden sinners. You, you ever heard that phrase, backslidden Again, I'm from a Baptist background, and I heard that all the time. Oh, y'all pray for me. I'm backsliding. Like, I didn't even know what that meant for the longest time. And then when I did, I feel like, my Lord, aren't all of us at some point in our lives by noon? Um, but if you were a religious person, looking at these guys, you would say, they're not good people. They're dirty. They're nasty. They're unclean. They, they might have been good at one time, but they were doing some things they shouldn't do. Or something happened to them that they shouldn't have allowed to happen to them. And they're shepherds now. And they're nasty kids. Stay away from them. And and by the way, for me, it's funny how Jesus always goes out of his way to identify with people that religion throws away. Because John 10, Jesus is describing himself. And he tells people, I am the good. Anybody want to guess? I'm the good shepherd. I'm the good shepherd. In other words, what you say is not good. The people you say are nasty and dirty and shouldn't have anything to do with other people. He says, hey, I'm identifying with those people. Anyway, it's just a point of the story that's in the text. I love it. Verse 9, suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terrified. Now, I've told you this before, but I love it slash don't love it when people talk about this. And they say, if they had saw an angel, they wouldn't be afraid. I was talking to a guy one time, legit. He's like, I don't know why they were terrified. If I'd have seen an angel standing out in the field, I'd have said, glory be to Jesus. And I have my hands up in worship. I'd have praised God on the spot. I'm like, not me. No way. Because if an angel showed up, let me put it to you this way. If you feel stuck in your relationship with God, if you feel like you can't win, if you feel like you're not where you need to be in your walk with as a matter of fact, you feel like you know you're not where you need to be in your walk with God. All of a sudden, God shows up. What do you think is about to happen to you? You think you're about to get throat punched by God, right? God's about to lower the boom. Like God is there to blow you up. Like you're not living right. You're not doing the right things. All of a sudden, God shows up and, and he's just like, this is it. Now you're going to get it. I was thinking about this the other day. 
Um, growing up, my parents would spank me. Um, I don't know if kids get spanked anymore. Um, they probably should be. Um, and if you need lessons, I'll teach you. Um, bring Jira back up here or something. Um, anyway, I got spanked. I got it a lot. Sometimes I got bonuses. Like I'd get one in school, and then I'd get another one when I got home. It was like two for one special. It was great. But there would be a time where my mom would spank me, and it wouldn't hurt anymore. You, you know what I'm talking about? I don't know if mom just like was having an off day or whatever, but it just didn't hurt. And, and, and here's the thing. I probably should have never told her, like ever. I shouldn't have let her know. But she'd be like, and I'd be like, oh, a little bit more to the left if you want it to hurt. Like, but it didn't hurt. So she came up with this thing. She would say, go to your room and wait for dad to come home. Now, that improved my prayer life because I would pray that daddy would never come home. And, and then I did this. I don't know if you've ever done this, but I would start putting on two pair of underwear, three pair of underwear, sweatpants, Dr. Seuss book down my pants, like whatever. And dad always came home, and, and it was never good, especially when he found out I was putting on extra stuff. And so he was always there to punish because of what I had done. The reason the shepherds are terrified is because they think, man, here's the deal. We're not where we need to be in our walk with God. Because all these religious people are telling us we're not good people. And now God has shown up. And so he's obviously here to kick butt and take names. He's obviously here to judge us. He's obviously here to punish us. He's obviously here to condemn us because we're shepherds. And they're scared. Which, by the way, that's the reason a lot of people avoid church. That's why people avoid God and Jesus and Christianity. is because they're afraid they've been so bad, God is going to punish them. I had somebody tell me one time, Ryan, I, I could never come into your church. If I walked into your church, like the church is just busting the flames. Well, we got some firefighters. We'll get you one of their suits. You can put that on when you come in. Like, we'll do something. They're scared to death. They're horrified. The angels are there. And, and I don't know. I, I don't know if they take off running. I don't know if they're down on the ground and they're shivering. I, I don't know what's going on. But the angel says, don't be afraid. And I know it's an exclamation point. I love it. He's like yelling at them, trying to get their attention. Either look up or quit running or something, come back. He said, Do not be, don't be afraid. And then he says this, I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. Now, I love this. This is one of my favorite phrases in the entire Bible, that I'm here to bring you good news that will bring great joy to all the people. And I want to spend a few minutes, I want to break down these phrases. I want you to notice first, he says, I want to bring you, I'm, I bring you good news. Could you use some good news, yes or no? I could, seriously. Everywhere we look, there's not good news. I quit watching the actual news about two years ago, unless I'm watching like for sports scores or something. Because dear Lord, there's never anything positive on the news, Right? Like, there's never good news, but good news. Like, I know you could use some good news. I know you would choose good news over bad news, right? Like, like how many of you, if somebody calls and says, I've got good news and bad news, how many of you say, I want the good news first? How many of you are like, give me the bad news first, and then I can deal with the good news? But we, we don't really want the bad news at all. We want the good news. Now, we could use some good news in church, right? Because, listen, here, here, here's the deal. The reason a lot of people have stopped going to church is because churches, most churches, I don't know every church, but I do know a lot of churches. And a lot of churches have forgot how to preach good news. And so think about this. I want you to stay with me for a second. Um, I'm going to set this up. I'm going to kind of explain this and where I'm going. 
there are too many churches today not preaching good news. Now, they're giving good advice, but there's a great big difference between good advice and good news, right? For example, you go into a church that's offering good, good advice, but not good news. They're going to tell you, hey, men, you need to stop looking at porn. Well, that's true. That's good advice. But there's not good news in that. In fact, if you're looking at porn, I'm, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, don't worry. But if you look at it, if you're looking at porn, you don't hear any good news in that condemning statement of, hey, knock it off, quit. You need to quit abusing drugs and alcohol. Well, that's true. Like, I'm not going to argue with that. We would all agree with that. But if you're abusing drugs and alcohol and you hear that, that's not good news. When I was abusing drugs, people would tell me, Ryan, you need to knock it off. You need to quit. All right. I get it. It's true. But where's the good news in that? Where's the hope? Here's one of my favorites. You need to get over your anxiety. Oh, thank you, Captain Obvious, Mr. Spiritual Walk on Water guy. You're right. In fact, that's super true. But is it good news? No. And I know you're sitting there, Pastor Ryan, I believe churches ought to preach the truth. Well, so do I. I do too. But I believe you can preach the truth and good news together. Let me show you what I'm talking about. For example, instead of saying, hey, knock it off, quit looking at porn, here's the good news. You can. You can quit looking at porn through the power of Jesus Christ. Through Jesus Christ, you actually can stop that addiction. That's good news, yes or no? That's the reason Jesus came. Instead of saying, hey, quit abusing drugs and alcohol, the good news is you can. You can quit abusing drugs and alcohol. That's the good news. That's why Jesus died. That's why Jesus rose from the grave, so that we could be overcomers. Instead of telling somebody, just get over that anxiety, like, you need to tell people you can. You can get over anxiety. You can get over depression. You can break free from darkness. That's good news. That's why Jesus Christ came, not to give us good advice, but to give us good news that we don't actually have to live in chains and bondage, that we can actually live in freedom. That's good news, amen? And then he says this, I bring you good news, hey, we'll be overcomers, because this baby's coming, he's going to grow up, and he's going to live this sinless life, he's going to be crucified, he's going to die, he's going to raise again, and, and you can be overcomers, and that will fill you. With great joy. I came to bring you good news that will bring great joy to all the people. Now, here's my controversial statement um, for the morning. And uh, I'm going to get some pushback on this, and that, that's okay. I know one controversy thing was churches don't preach the good news. It's whatever. Here's, here's the big thing God wants you to be filled with joy. He really does. God wants you and I, He wants us to be filled with joy. Now, I know there's this big movement in Christianity with the debate about happiness and joy, and God doesn't want me happy, he wants me holy, and God wants no joy in my life, and I'm supposed to be miserable as a Christian forever. But, but I, w- I just want you to think about this. I don't want to debate this this morning, but, but I want you to think about something. Jesus, when he walked among us, when he lived here, the most common he called God was Father. Now, is God a good father, yes or no? Yeah. Now, if you would agree with that, let me ask you this question. What good father doesn't want to see his kid happy and full of joy? I love it when my daughter laughs uncontrollably. She's got these giggles, and she just starts giggling. She's 21 years old, and it still melts my heart every time. 
I love it when my son is excited, when he calls me up and he's super excited about something. And, and, and it gets me to a place where, where there just brings this, this joy as he's figuring out life. And he's figuring, what I really love is he's figuring out it's a lot freaking harder than he thought it was. And so that brings me great joy and makes me, not really, but, but you know what I'm talking about? If you're a mom and dad, like, like what, what wouldn't you do to see joy in your kid? When you have that belly laugh from your kid, is that not the greatest thing in the world? Nobody has ever said, hey, stop in the name of Jesus. Laugh, demon, come out of you. Like, that, that has never happened. We love to hear our kids laugh. We love to see them happy and full of joy. Now, there is a difference between happiness and joy. Both are important, and I believe God, God delights in both. But there are some things that make us happy in the moment that'll steal our joy long term. And I'm not going to debate that this morning, but we'll talk about that. We will at another time. But joy. God said, hey, I'm sending good news. I'm sending Jesus to you to put something inside of you that the world can never take away from you. Because you could take away my happiness. You could take away my little moments of being happy, but you can't take away my joy. Joy is something the world cannot take from you. Now, that doesn't mean you're not going to go through tough times. Doesn't mean you're not going to walk through the valley. Doesn't mean that life is going to be incredibly difficult at times. But God said, hey, I bring you good news that will bring great joy to how many people? All the people. I love that. I love that. Not some people. Not most people. Not church people. He said all the people. Even the dirty nasty shepherds, even people who feel like they're stuck, even people who feel like they're not where they need to be in their relationship with God, even people like you and me, all the people. And then he goes on to say this, the Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David, and you will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth lying in a manger. Now, this is mind-blowing to me. I referred to it last week, but um, the manger is a feeding trough. It's gross. It's nasty. It's dirty. These guys are what? Shepherds, right? They're they're shepherds. I told you last week that this most likely was a sheep cave. Would the shepherds have understood what a sheep cave was? Yes or no? Yeah. Would they have known it's dirty and nasty? Yes or no? Yeah. When they were told it was in a, the baby's in a manger, would they have thought, well, that's unusual? <laughs> yeah. They would have thought that was strange. Right here, though, God is saying, hey, you know what? The shepherds, you guys, can't come to the temple. Remember that? Because they're unclean. And so God is saying, hey, religion has kicked you out. I'll come to you. I'll come to you and I'll identify with you in a way that only you can understand. And don't miss this. He tells them the manger. He says the manger. And the manger to them is dirty and nasty. And I want you to get this. The manger is not a symbol of how clean we are. It's a reminder of how dirty we are and how much we need God's grace. It's a reminder of how dirty we are and how much we need God's grace. We can't earn our way. We're not going to work our way into heaven. We can't be good enough. But the problem is, we, we, in Christian circles, we begin to think that. And we begin to think, do more, try harder. And then we begin to compare ourselves to other people. I mean, let's just be honest. Do you compare yourself to other people? Yes, yeah, say yes, don't, don't lie. We, we all do it. 
Physically, we do it. And I could give you tons of examples, but I did this a few months ago, and, and you understand what I'm talking about. But not only do we compare ourselves physically, we do it spiritually as well. Christianity for years and years and years, we've been comparing ourselves to each other. We see people as religious and like they're climbing this ladder. And people think Christianity is all about, well, that person reads the Bible more than I read. And that person prays more than I pray. And that person goes to church more. That person gives more. That person serves more. That person does more. But if you don't get anything else I say today, I want you to walk out with this. Christianity is not about measuring up. It's about opening up. Christianity is not about how well you measure up to other people. Like if we're comparing ourselves to other people, we can always find somebody better. And on the flip side of that, we can always find somebody worse to justify the way that we're living. Christianity is not about measuring up. Christianity is about opening up and saying, God, I don't know what you want to do in my life right now, but the answer is yes. Yes, Lord. Whatever my next step is. Yes, that's, that's what Christianity is. That's how we make progress. That's how we move forward in our voyage with Jesus. It, is we just listen and we're obedient in the moment. Because that's what the shepherds did. I'll show you. They're, they're told they're going to find the baby in a manger and then it gets crazy. Verse 13, before they take off, suddenly the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven, praising God and saying glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth. Couldn't we use a little peace on earth? Peace on earth. To those with whom God is pleased. Now, if you're just looking at that verse and looking at the earth in general, you're like, man, God must be pretty ticked off because we don't see a lot of peace. I don't believe that's what he's saying right here. The NIV um, translation says, peace on whom his favor rests. And another word for favor is grace. And so this actually reads, peace on those on whom his grace rests. In other words, the peace that can be experienced here on earth is, is not found in anything on this earth. It's found in the grace of God. And the grace of God can only be received through Jesus Christ. That's how we have peace on earth. There, there's not a government that's ever going to bring peace on earth, ever. And so the shepherds, the shepherds have God's grace fall on them. And then something crazy happens. They get a little impulsive in verse 15. When the angel had returned to heaven... The shepherds said to each other, let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing that happened, which the Lord has told us about. You think they're excited, yes or no? Yes. You think they got ready? You think they went home, they got cleaned up, they showered, or did they go in just their shepherding outfits? All dirty, nasty, gross, stinky. They went just as they were. Now, I've got a question for you. Don't answer out loud. All right, this, this is, I'm going to ask a question off of this question because it's something that, that has like weighed on me for a few months. All right? How much time did you spend getting ready for church today? Some of you, I don't want you to answer out loud because I can tell. Like some of you, it's obvious. Like I get it. Mainly the guys. That's understandable. But seriously, a while back, and I put this in a message a few months ago because I was really thinking about it. How much time do we spend getting ready for church? And then as I was preparing this message, this really hit me. Because you think about makeup, hair, clothes, how many times you changed before you came to church. And, and, and I'm like, I'm not trying to make anybody feel bad or anything. Like, I got convicted by this. As soon as the shepherds heard about Jesus, as soon as they heard, they went. They didn't change. They didn't ask each other, hey, how do I look? Am I presentable? It's Messiah, the Savior of the world. We've got to be super presentable. We've got to have our best on in front of going in front of him and, and back and forth and back and forth. And, and so I had this question. 
since they just went immediately. And we talk about all the time, hey, Central Church, a place where you could come as you are. But do we really believe it? Like we say all the time, Jesus is going to meet you just as you are. You don't have to change anything. And so I started thinking this. What if we spent half the amount of time on Sundays preparing our hearts as we did preparing our appearance? What if we spent half as much time preparing our hearts as we did our appearance? And that could be your clothes, that could be your hair, that could be your makeup, or that could be the fake persona that you put on when you walk through those front doors. Like what would happen if we showed up at church and we expected something to happen? Like when we're in a parking lot, we're like, I don't know what's going to happen today, but I know something's going to happen. Because see, when any church gets together, stuff happens. And that's true here at Central Church. We've never had a Sunday where in one of the services God has not moved, where somebody has not put their faith in Jesus Christ, or somebody hasn't trusted Jesus to surrender some area of their life, or they haven't felt a move of God. Something's going to happen. I don't never know what God's going to do, but I know week in and week out he's going to do something. And so what if we pulled into the parking lot and we're like, I don't know what God's going to do with me, but I'm just going to pause for the next 10 seconds and say, God... I want you to do something in my life today. What would happen? What would happen? What could happen if we showed up with that in mind? Just a question. I'm not trying to make anybody feel bad. I just convicted with this myself, and that's just me. And this is always like my therapy session. Hi, my name is Ryan, and I got a problem. Anyway, here's what's crazy. Verse 16. They hurried to the village. Shepherds didn't go anywhere in a hurry. Right? Their, their job was not a fast-paced job. If you go back and you look at the, the culture of what they were and what those men did, they didn't hurry anywhere. Like, it's just easy, casual. But right here, they're excited. They hurried to the village and found Mary and Joseph. Now, if you're Mary and Joseph and you got the baby swaddled all snugly and, and, and you're upset because there's no room for you anywhere to stay and you're inside of a cave and your baby's laying in a feeding trough and you finally got him to a place where he's not crying and you feel like you've got him all cleaned up and now he's sleeping all of a sudden people show up at the door and they're shepherds they're nasty they're dirty they're gross you might be thinking are they here to kick us out of this place too is this their place you're not excited about seeing these people and wanting them to handle your newborn son. But they showed up. They showed up, and the Bible says, and there was the baby lying in the manger, just like God said. See, we can take God. We can trust God. We can take God at his word. There was the baby lying in the manger. After seeing him, the shepherds told everyone what had happened and what the angel had said to them about this child. All who heard the shepherd's story were astonished. But Mary kept all these things in her heart. And thought about them often. The shepherds went back to their flocks. The shepherds went back. To me, that's huge. We'll talk about that in a minute. Shepherds went back to their flocks, glorifying and praising God for all they had seen and heard. That's great, big, huge, too. It was just as the angel had told him. But to to me, this is the most confusing part of the story. This doesn't fit the Christian narrative. Because you've got shepherds, dirty, nasty, outcasts, misfits, don't come around us. You're unclean shepherds. They have an encounter with God. They meet Jesus. And at the end of the story, they're shepherds. They're still shepherds. That's not how it's supposed to happen in Christian circles. Because see, we've taken Christianity and we've turned it into fairy tales, haven't we? 
Like, like haven't you heard the story of a, of a person getting on stage and somebody, somebody's like, hey, why don't you come up here and share your testimony, brother? He gets on stage. I was a crack-smoking axe murderer. Got on an airplane to head to this convention out in Vegas. And there was a guy that I sat next to, and he was reading his Bible. I said, what are you reading? He said, I'm reading the Holy Scriptures. I said, what the hell are the Holy Scriptures? And then he talked to me about them. And five minutes later, I gave my life to Jesus. I asked the stewardess for a parachute, parachuted out of the plane, landed in a jungle full of unreached people, led the whole tribe to Jesus. And today, I'm the president of North American State Baptist Mission Alliance. Haven't you heard that one? I've heard it way too many times. That's why I got that like that. This is crazy. This right here, the shepherds, it's a crazy testimony. Hey, shepherd people, hey, you mind coming up here and sharing your story? Um, Yeah. See, uh, we were in this field, and um, angels showed up, and and we were terrified because we weren't living right. We weren't doing things. People told us we were bad. And so we thought we were dead. We thought God was going to blow us up. And, and then the angel told us about this baby. His name was Jesus and said, he's the savior of the world. And we went and saw Jesus and we came back and we were shepherds. What well, does it sound right? Because fairy tale Christianity says the shepherds meet Jesus. All of a sudden you become saints. You're not shepherds anymore. Like you trade in your shepherd's robe for like golden robes. And then you just kind of float around for the rest of forever. I mean, what do you mean? You're still shepherds. Where's the change? I mean, you're stuck as shepherds and all of a sudden you're still shepherds. How do you think you're not stuck anymore? Well, it's very simple. The shepherds went back to being shepherds with the knowledge that Jesus, the Messiah, was alive. That's the difference. That's what gets us unstuck. See, there's a difference between a person who doesn't know Jesus and the person that knows Jesus is alive. If you know Jesus is alive and you're a Christian, that means you know that Jesus is alive in you. And if you know that Jesus is alive in you, then you know nothing is impossible. That's what I call good news. That's what I call the gospel. That's what I think the world means, needs more of. It's all through the scriptures. Monday, I was reading the book of Job, and I don't know, if you're new to the Bible, I, I don't recommend starting with Job. Um, it's actually the oldest book in the Bible. Um, it's older than Genesis, but, but it's not very encouraging until the very end. Starts out with this guy named Job. He's very rich, got a good marriage, lots of kids. By the end of the second chapter, all of his kids are dead. He's bankrupt, and his wife is looking at him saying, man, I wish you would have died too. I mean, his life fell completely apart, and he's stuck. Then his friends show up, and they're idiots. And they're hyper-religious, and they're looking at him, and they're telling him, you need to curse God. Curse God so you can die. Just curse God, curse God, curse God. And, and he's like, I'm not listening to any of that. It's because at the end of the story, God blesses him. God restores him. He gets back double what he used to have. But there's a section in the story that I think is the key to Job's entire breakthrough. Job is like, hey, I'm stuck. I'm, I'm not where I need to be in my relationship with God. And because of that, I feel like I'm being punished. He says, I feel like I'm being punished unjustly. He says, I I feel like I'm stuck. And and then he says something that, that honestly I think we see in the shepherds. Job chapter 19, verse 25. He says, but as for me, I don't care what all of you are saying. I don't really care what is happening in my life right now. I know you're telling me to do this, do this, do this, and, and, and I might get better. But, but here's what everybody I want to know. As for me, I know my Redeemer lives. 
I know my Redeemer lives, and he will stand upon the earth at last. Job said, hey, I can't understand what's going on. I can't understand why all this is happening. I can't understand any of it, but here's the one thing I know. My Redeemer, he's alive, and because he's alive, I can live. I don't know where you are in your relationship with God. I don't know where you are in your voyage with Jesus, but if you feel stuck, if you feel like it's just been the same thing over and over and over again, well, maybe... It's not your circumstances Jesus wants to change today. Maybe it's your mindset. Because what if we could walk out of this door, nothing changed other than the knowledge of, hey, I know Jesus is alive. I know Jesus is alive in me. And if Jesus is alive in me, then nothing is impossible because the word says, greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. And when I buy into that, I can be an overcomer. The shepherds were still shepherds, but they were changed shepherds. Because they had one encounter with Jesus. I would challenge you as you go about this Christmas season to look for that moment. To look for that moment where you can encounter the Savior. Because that's what changes everything. Let's pray. God, we are so incredibly grateful for you. You are awesome. You are holy. God, you are just absolutely incredible in our lives. And as we pause over these next few moments, could we reflect on the fact that Jesus, you are alive. God, I pray for every single person here that feels stuck, stuck in a habit, stuck in an addiction, stuck in a condition, stuck in a place, stuck in confusion, frustration, doubt. God, that we could just kind of pause and set it all aside and say, yes, this is the season where we celebrate Jesus. But even more than that, we celebrate that Jesus is alive. And even more than that, we celebrate Jesus is alive in me. And Jesus, since you are alive in us, then we literally have the power to overcome anything the world throws our way. Allow us to celebrate, Jesus, that you are alive. Maybe you're here and and you don't understand that because you've never asked Jesus to come into your life and save you. And he's not in there. And so the struggle of being stuck is, is constantly there. Maybe you've felt for a long time that, yes, I need a Savior. I need this in my life. Well, the Bible says if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, that we will be saved. That's the good news of great joy that was delivered to all the people, that we can be saved. And so if that's you right where you sit, I would just invite you to pray this prayer. Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. And I need forgiveness. And so right now, I confess, Jesus, you are Lord. And I believe in my heart that God raised you from the dead. And so I confess my sins to you and ask you to forgive me, knowing that you died to cover those sins. Today, I ask you to come into my life to save me, to be my Lord, to be my God, to be my King, to be my Savior. All all of me for all of you. Thank you for dying for me. And thank you for saving me. If you prayed that prayer for the first time, we would love to know. As Mike closes us in song, there'll be people in the back corners of the sanctuary to pray with you, pray for you. 
celebrate with you, help you on next steps. We want to hook you up with a study Bible and some other things, and so let us know. If not in here, then stop at the welcome desk and let them know. Maybe you're here and maybe you're struggling with something. Maybe you feel stuck. Maybe you feel overwhelmed. Use this as an opportunity to to partner with people here in the church, to pray with you and for you and to trust God to move in your life, to get you out of the rut, to get you out of the place where you're stuck. Jesus, we give you honor, praise, and glory because we know that you are faithful. You're the same yesterday, today, and forever. And yes, you are the reason for the season. But again, even more so, you are alive and you are alive in us. Help us to be overcomers in all things, Jesus, in your name, amen.